0: Hello and welcome to the Four Press podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusak, and this week my guest is Billy Horschel. Billy is a five-time winner on the PGA Tour. He's also the winner of the 2014 FedEx Cup. And he is one of the first pros that I contacted about becoming a guest on this podcast. And of course, he immediately said yes, gave me his cell phone number. And uh, I'm really excited we were able to work out this conversation that you're about to hear. We touched on a lot of different topics, including Billy's not so silver spoon upbringing in North Florida, about how he figured it out and eventually was able to become successful on the PGA Tour and what it took to do that. We also talked very frankly and openly about how he and his wife, Brittany, came forward and addressed her alcoholism in 2017 and what that did to affect their family as well as his golf. I think it's really fascinating stuff. Get Stronger, Hit Longer, and End Pain with Golf Forever, created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James. Golf Forever is the Take Anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body primed for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFLOOP for a free 14-day trial. Okay, so I've hit the appropriate button Recorder's telling me that's going, and I've been looking forward to this one for a long time, folks. So I'd like to welcome Billy Horschel to the Ford Press Podcast, presented by golfweek.com. dot Is just about everybody knows Billy is a professional golfer out on the PGA Tour, uh, former standout at the University of Florida, a very proud Florida Gator. Which troubles me often, being a guy from Syracuse, New York, that I actually now I've known that that Florida has it over Syracuse in football. But after my team just scored 35 points in our season opener in basketball, Billy's probably going to be holding basketball over me as well. Um, he turned pro in 2009 and has five PGA Tour wins at this point, starting in the 2013 at the Zurich Classic. 2014 was a damn good year, and we'll go into depth about that. Uh, wins the BMW Championship, wins the Tour Championship, wins the FedEx Cup. 2017, Byron Nelson, 2018, Zurich Classic. Um, but what I find most interesting, Billy, and maybe you don't even know this, on your bio on the PGA Tour's website, it says that you're a big lover of real estate, and you love to watch the housing market. And if you didn't play golf, you'd be in real estate and flipping houses. Is that true? I mean, do do you sit there yeah. and watch like fixer uppers and dream you and Brittany of being Chip and Joanna Gaines? Uh,
1: I'm not sure we dream of being Chip and Joanna Gaines, but I do. Uh, I do watch the housing market. Uh, especially in Jacksonville, area I live in, and in Colorado, Aspen, where we spend our summers. And so I, I, I follow it pretty closely in those two areas. And, you know, when I'm out on the road, sometimes I'll look at it around uh, the area that we're playing just to uh, see what's going on with the market a little bit. And I watch a lot of the, those, uh, you know, whether it's a million-dollar listing on Bravo or <laughs> HGTV to, uh, shows on there. So it's something that... Uh, interests me a lot i grew up in the construction industry my dad's been in that uh area of work for uh 50 plus years his de- his grandfather was in it he had two brothers or all his brothers are in it the two of them own their own roofing company so it's something that i was growing i was born into and had been around and i thought i would never want to do anything in it uh just because i was i was the the grunt man uh worked for my dad sometimes at some job sites but uh but, you know, I, I, I fa- fell, fell back in love with it a couple of years ago um, and on a different level, on a different side of it where I'm not doing the work.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ha- hauling bricks and, and lumber and cutting drywall um, is probably a lot less fun than winning golf tournaments and flying around and doing what you do these days. How did you get started in golf? So if your father was in the construction industry and that kind of stuff, where, where does little Billy Horschel pick up his first golf club and start to learn to play?
1: So, my dad's a very athletic guy. Uh, he played Division One college football. His two brothers played Division One college football, one at the University of Miami, one at University of Cincinnati. So, athletics have always been big in uh, that side of the family. And um, my dad, I don't even know how my dad got started. I, I'm probably asked him a couple of times and I forget. But none of his uh, brothers played and his dad didn't play. And somehow he picked up the game and he wasn't too bad of a golfer. Uh, I think, you know, I think he had his best. He may have been like an eight handicap, seven, eight handicap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we li- we lived on about two and a half acres where I grew up. And my dad would go out in the backyard when he'd get home from work sometimes and go hit some balls. And, and i just follow him out there uh, around the age of three. And-, and that's where, you know, golf got introduced to me, just in the backyard hitting balls. And I played a whole bunch of sports growing up. And, and golf is the one that-, that won out over every other sport.
0: So I was doing some math, and you've actually got a birthday coming up in early December. You'll be 33, and that's great. And the the thing that depressed me the most, not only I, I knew I was older than you, but you were born the winter after Jack Nicklaus wins his 1986 Masters, obviously at at, at the age of 46. Who is the guy for you? When when you are young and, and impressionable, you turn on the TV and you're watching. I, I was, for example, growing up, I was a Nicklaus guy. Now, my best friend Tom was totally a tom watson guy and that was fine i mean they were both tremendous players hall of famers the whole bit who was your guy
1: so it, I, I tell people there's, there's three guys for me that really were the guys i looked up to and and early on it was greg norman uh mm-hmm. you know I, I i just him being a top player there in the early 90s early mid 90s and you know doing dueling out and, and being i just love that the, the, the swagger he had on the golf course, the way he walked, just he just looked like a badass to me. Mm-hmm. He just looked like a badass. And then and then it was completely opposite. I had Freddie Couples that I loved because he just out there having a good time, didn't didn't care it looked like, just hitting shots and, and, and so two completely opposite spectrum totally. type of players. Totally. Uh, but those are two guys I absolutely love. And then uh so when Tiger won the Masters in ninety seven uh, I was I was what 12 years old, so I that was the next guy for me, and I love Tiger just for the what I love about Tiger is you could see the intensity that he brought to every shot. Mm-hmm. You knew he worked his butt off when he you know he gave it all. He worked to a, a thousand percent you know on his game, and so that was and the cool factor he brought in. He brought in another cool factor. So all those three guys I felt like had a cool factor to them. And they all had little aspects that I just loved about their game that I sort of tried to to copy or emulate.
0: At some point or another, when you start to be at tournaments where these guys are playing, you've played the Shark Shootout, you've obviously played at the Masters, you've done all these things, and you start seeing these guys that when you were younger, like those are your guys. And then there they are in the locker room, whether you're competing against them or they're just around. It's got to be sort of surreal. To Because football players don't get this. I mean, if you're a guy who's in high school yeah. or a college football player and you go out, there's probably not going to be, or maybe at the very end of some some especially long careers, you're not playing with or against the guys who are your heroes. Golf, it's totally conceivable that a kid who is 15, 16 years old is going to play and potentially compete for a while against somebody who he really admires and idolizes. What? How do you get over that, and what was that like the first time, for example, you meet you know, Norman or couples?
1: That's the, that's the unusual thing for me. I'm not one that, that, uh, and like awe shocked, like, Oh my gosh, like there's Greg Norman, there's Tiger Woods, or Mm -hmm. I'm talking with Tiger Woods, or I'm playing against Greg Norman, or, you know, I have never had that. I was never like, even to this day, I I'm, I'm lucky to meet some unbelievable people and some famous people and some really important people. I'm not like, wow, oh my God, like I'm like, what am I, this is like, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, like I,
0: mm-hmm. I feel
1: weird, or I feel strange, I, it's never been that way for me. I, I think it's it's really cool and it's really unique that I have that opportunity, but sure. I remember meeting Tiger um, 2009, I just turned pro, I got a sponsor invite into AT&T National Congressional and and I met him uh, after the Wednesday pro-am in the lunchroom just talked to him for a few minutes and wanted to thank him for, you know, giving me a spot into his event. And, you know, I, I thought that was a cool moment. Um, but uh, did he know who yeah, you were? Yeah, you know, I still looked. he did. Um, and what I thought was the coolest thing of that is that he was talking with somebody and Mark Steinberg was there and Mark, Mark said, Hey, Tyre, Billy Horschel here. Um, so we started talking and Tyre goes, he, he, he rattles off a couple things that I did in college and what oh, I did in Walker man. Cup, and I'm like, dude, this is pretty unique because Mark Steinberg literally just introduced me five seconds ago. Didn't tell him anything. Didn't he didn't know I was going to be meeting him today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for him to rattle off a couple things I did in college, I thought that was that was what shocked me, and I thought that was really unique that that he would remember. You know that you know obviously yeah. being talked to you know doing when they were thinking about giving sponsor exemptions and hey Billy did this this and this and this college for him to remember that I thought that was awesome.
0: That's a cool. And yeah, I thought that was cool. really
1: really cool thing in it. Um, so yeah, but I mean nowadays like even I'll go see Greg here. Um, or I saw Greg Norman uh, about a month ago. I did a, a Bahamas uh, Pro Am charity event with Justin Leonard and Brad Fax. A I lot saw that. Yeah, down there. Yep.
0: For Hurricane Leaf and, and, and yeah.
1: Greg Norman, exactly for the Hurricane Leaf and, and Greg Norman was down there and I was just out there watching hit balls and you know I'm just like man this is pretty cool I get to watch Greg Norman hit balls which I've done before but it's just still you know sometimes I'll sit back because right there like I said I'm not the aha like all oh, shucks moment I don't get you know all hyped up sure. but I'll sit back and and you know sometimes if I'm on a flight or something or driving somewhere might you know, I'll just be thinking about stuff, and I'm like, man, you know, it's pretty cool. I get to play an unbelievable game of golf, and you know, I got the, you know, I was driving back from that event. I'm like, dude, I get to watch
0: Greg Norman hit balls again. You know, I just that's pretty unique. It's appreciation. It's understanding and being able to sort of appreciate that not everybody has it as good as I do, and being able to yeah. separate yourself and just be like, yeah, you know what? I there's a lot of hard work and a lot of good fortune that went into this, and I appreciate that rather than thinking. I deserve this or I'm beholden to it. Like this is something that is owed to me. And um, that's the difference I think with a lot of golfers because it's, it's a sport that really lets you know where you stand in the pecking order. You know, it's the score is the score and you, you earn your way into certain things. You either have your card or you don't, you either um, shoot the score or you don't. And when guys I think go through that rather than a sport where there is judging on one point or another, where there's, there's a little bit of a gray area shoot the score you don't and i found for the most part not always but for the most part golfers tend as they especially as they get towards 30 to sit to have the ability to sit back and say like yeah i've got it pretty good you know like there are certain things that are much more complicated about my life and not as glamorous as people who watch cbs or golf channel or whatever on the weekends can appreciate because i've got things i have to do but as things go somebody's putting hoods on buicks today and it's not me and i really really am thankful for that it's cool
1: yeah, I've always been that way. I've never I've never taken anything for granted I've had. I've never been like, you know, a perfect example is I want, to, I haven't made a, a team yet, whether Ryder Cup team or President's Cup team, and, and I really want to make this President's Cup team, just like I really want to make the Ryder Cup team last year for Jim Furyk. Jim Furyk's a really good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Tiger's a good friend of mine. I really want to be on that team. And I'm seeing the picks last night knowing that I'm not on the team.
0: Right. And I'm like, man,
1: I really want to make this team. And, and I, I felt bad because i'm not on the team but i never had that moment like man you know i deserve to be on a team or i've never had that you know throughout my last five or six years i've mm-hmm. had a chance to make a team i never had that moment like you know i deserve to be on this team you know i have a lot of people come up to me and say hey you should have been on that 2014 Ryder cup team you know no i, I shouldn't have i didn't play good i i played good for three weeks after the pick the team was announced like that doesn't mean i should be on the team so um but I've always been thankful for everything I have I think it's because of how I grew up we grew up uh you know and I I said it's like we grew up below middle class I mean we weren't we weren't I wasn't a country club kid I never had a silver spoon in my mouth there's many times growing up where my parents one of my parents didn't have a job they didn't have work they were out of work for for several months and so you know it was tough my parents had a work hard to make ends meet. And we had, I know, several mortgages out on a house and mm-hmm. it wasn't until I got to high school that my dad finally, my mom had a finally a steady job where the company, you know, she was, wasn't going to go out of business. She's had a job before then that was really good. And then the company went out of business. So she had a job that was pretty stable. And then my dad had an opportunity to go work for a buddy on his construction site as a supervisor. Um, and that was a steady job, but unfortunately that meant he had to work around the state of Florida and be away from us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my mom pretty much just said to him, you know, I think I was around freshman or sophomore year of high school. And I remember this because not most kids want to know the situation in their household, you know, the financial situation. Why things, why, do, why don't we have this? Or why sure. can't we have oh, this? Yeah. You know, kids yeah. ask that, but their parents don't always tell them in detail. Well, I wanted to know the details. And so my mom's like, hey, you know, I knew the details, and my mom pretty much just told my dad like, hey, I'm tired of, you know, living the way we are. Like, we we need you to to take this job and and make a consistent paycheck on a regular basis. And I know it's tough for my dad because he was always there for my brother, my grand brother and I for all school events, and that meant that he was going to be away from it. But it was going to allow allow my family to be in a better financial situation going forward. And and to at least allow us to go to college and, and, and support us well, that way. So, In, in some ways, uh, I think you're so, really
0: fortunate because that's actually really progressive thinking for people. Uh, if you take a look at society as a whole here in the U.S., we don't talk about a lot of things because we feel it's sort of like a, a taboo kind of an issue. Like you don't talk about finances around the kids. You don't talk about a lot of different health issues that people may or may not have. And people would probably, especially kids, I have two kids. My son Charlie's 15. My daughter Lindsay's 10. And my wife Charlene and I, we will talk about finances. There is a reason why Charlie doesn't have, for example, like 10 pairs of Air Jordans in his closet. It's not that he doesn't want them, but I'll tell you what, like when he goes in for a little bit of money on some of the school, on some of the shoes that he does have, it's funny how he takes better care of them. It's funny how like he appreciates them more. And I don't know, like sometimes we dance around things that actually are really important. And then when kids get out of high school and college and are out in the real world, if you don't have some basic sort of like financial literacy and just like health understanding like this is stuff that's good for you, this is stuff that's not. this is the danger of credit card debt, this is how using money responsibly. this is the difference between needing something genuinely and wanting something. Um, for your parents to, to, to talk to you when you are you know junior high school high school age at that point is is really a blessing in a lot of ways
1: Yeah, it was, and I, I tell you I said I, I would never. Want to grow up any differently than the way I did? I, it made me who I am today. It, it molded me into the person I am. I have a really great understanding. Um, I've had it from an early, early, early age of, of I guess you say, of life. You, obviously, you always learn about life, but just sure. how the world works and 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 little things like that. That I learned earlier at an early age, and most people do. And you know, my wife and I talked about it with our kids. We were in a completely different situation than I grew up, or even my wife grew up, and. And so even now we try and tell them, you know, we're, we're always like, Hey, listen, we we're fortunate that you guys can get some of the stuff that you get, but you know, we need to realize that there's people that are less fortunate than us. And so, you know, we're always like, well, if you need more toys, if you want some more toys, you've got to do X, Y, and Z, you know, you got to do the right things at home and, 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 and school. And then at the same time. You know, you've got to give some of these toys away to kids that don't have these well, toys it's, like it's, we have a ton of
0: toys. It's making them so realize it's just that, that, that yeah, teach them. it's making them realize in many ways that it's there's there's nothing wrong with, with, with having stuff, but you have to number one appreciate it. And then number two, mm-hmm. so sort of just just realize when kind of enough is enough and, and that, that money doesn't solve every problem. Money creates different problems, different challenges, especially for parents raising kids. But it doesn't mean you have no problems whatsoever. Um Hey, when did you realize, if that was your background, when did you realize that golf is not just a way that potentially like, you could be really good, but it's, it was actually potentially going to be a way that you would make a living? When did you realize that being a pro might not just be sort of a pipe dream, but it could be a reality for you?
1: So, I realized that uh, after my freshman year of college, I qualified for the U.S. Open at Wingfoot 2006. And I went up there. Um, I missed a, cup by a couple shots. I actually played Really good the first time I shot five over. Yeah, you played decent. Yeah, I, I shot five over the first round, but I was five over after three holes. <laughs> and so I, I, I made 15 straight pars. I didn't make a birdie the next fifth uh, coming in. So I was five over after three, shot five over the first round, um, was in a really good spot to make the cut, and then I just didn't play well the my second nine holes of my second round. And that's just a learning experience. I you know First time being that stage, first time you know playing a golf course of that difficulty, So there was a lot to learn. I come back to school um, and I see my college coach, Buddy Alexander, who is an unbelievable player in his own right. Oh yeah. So we have a conversation, and Buddy, we're talking about you know what did I learn, what did I need to work on, and so then after this conversation, he goes, so do you think you have what it takes to make it to the PGA Tour or play out there? And I said, I said I do. I said if I play great right now, I think I can compete with them. But my, but my uh, so-so or my off days aren't anywhere close to what those guys are. Right. And I said, three more years here in college with you, learning, growing, understanding more about the game, I feel like I can make it as a tour player. And so right then and there, that, that was uh, the moment that I realized I can make it on the PGA Tour. I know I have the ability. I know I have the talent. It's How much am mm-hmm. I willing to sacrifice to be able to accomplish this goal? How hard am I willing to work to be able to get the PJ tour um so you, and, so and I was
0: show, so, so when you show up at the university of florida and you know you're a young buck freshman and you're you're playing for an elite program with an elite coach and then by the time you leave compare the player that you were when you show up to the player that you were when you graduated what what were the biggest things oh, you talked about that but but what were the biggest things that changed about the way you approach golf because it sounds like and i would imagine this is the case so then a lot of players show up in their freshman year they've had success playing junior golf they've had success either on a regional or potentially a national level but but they've done something to get themselves onto the team or get themselves into that position so they probably think like okay i got this but in reality what you're saying is that you come back from wingfoot and you're like i i got i have some talent when i'm playing my best but i don't got this and i've got a lot to learn what did, what did you learn yeah so, uh,
1: you know uh, I tell a lot of people this what maybe a lot of people don't know is people think, well, you got to university of Florida you must have been a really great junior player. I was a good junior player. I wasn't great. Um, I got lucky to, get to university of Florida. I, I went on a book scholarship and, uh, I, that's the only offer I had to go to college from a D one program. Mm-hmm. My other offer was go to a ju- uh, junior college, community college, um, where I grew up in Broward County. I had a really great junior program. They were a national powerhouse in junior, uh, and community golf, junior college golf. Mm-hmm. And so I got lucky that Buddy took a chance on me. And it was. He literally took a chance on me. He saw something in me, and he said, you know what? I think this guy can be great. So I went up to University of Florida with open arms, open eyes, just willing to take in as much as I could. And I grew a lot uh, my freshman year. I was probably was 12 guys on a team. And, I, I, you know, Buddy probably thought I was I, – I knew I was towards the bottom half, probably 10, 11 – Buddy thought he was probably going to redshirt me, you know, in his mind. You know, you wonder how the year may play out, and he probably thought, well, Billy's going to be a five-year player in his mind. We'll probably redshirt him in the freshman year, you know, get him better, improve his game, and then he'll be able to uh, help us the next four mm-hmm. years. Well, I grew so much my first month, month and a half, I was able to qualify for the first event. Um that we played in up in Toledo. I went up there. I finished top ten. Mm-hmm. We played four events that fall, and I think I finished top ten all four, or three of the four in the top tens. And it was just because of buddy. learning somebody, learning how to practice, learning course management, learning how to uh, to get yourself around the golf course. So the player I came in as a freshman to how the player that left the University of Florida as a senior. I mean, it's it's miles and miles apart. I mean, it's it's. uh, there was a massive transformation there that uh, that was done in those four years. So, I mean, it was, it was, uh it was a lot of hard work. There was a lot of buddy in there, a lot of uh some other people being involved, but I mean, to say that the player, I mean, I, it, it's tough to compare. I would say I was a really good uh junior, a solid junior player that, you know, could, could shoot on the par, um, you know, when on a, Somewhat regular basis, not, but he would always have some bad rounds. To leaving the college as a guy who who can shoot regularly on the par and his bad rounds now, or maybe even par or a couple over par. So, 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 uh, so then it,
0: you, you turn. What was interesting to me is in listening to you sort of explain that is is that you know your 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 bad rounds get better. You figure out a way to take maybe not your best day and turn it into a score that's not going to shoot you out of contention, or at least is going to keep you hanging around. When you turned pro in 2009, I had to go back and sort of do a little bit of hunting around for this. Um, you, were, you come out, you play some events on, you know, it wasn't even the Corn Fair of the Web, it was probably the Nationwide Tour, I would imagine, at that point. Yeah, Nationwide. And, yeah. and you're not doing too much. Early on, 2012, in the PGA Tour, you get yourself out there, you, you played 25 events in 2012, you missed 14 cuts. But what was fascinating to me is that the next year, 2012, you played 17 events, you missed only two cuts what What happened mm-hmm. like what was the switch or what was the thing that happened to you where you didn't have the consistency um or weren't able to get it done back I- at that point, but then in twelve obviously you you find something or figure something out that that allowed you to play golf and and really solidify your spot on tour
1: you know for me it it's i think there is a couple of other things one thing was uh i put a we all every player says they put a, a, a ton amount of pressure on themselves. Um, but I would say that I probably am one of the top guys that put the most pressure on themselves on a regular basis to perform um, at a level. And I, and I do that because it's just a how hard I work and what I expect of myself, something that I've always been that way. I expect perfection. I am perfectionist by nature. And so I would say in 2011, I was trying to be perfect. I thought I had to be perfect to play well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and as the end of 2011 came, I think I played better at the end of 2011. I realized I don't have to be perfect to play well and to be able to compete out here with the guys. I have the talent that when my game's off, I can still be able to compete and still be able to contend for tournaments. And that's what happened in 2012 is perfection wasn't in my mind. Perfection... uh you know, I, yeah, I try to strive for it, but it wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't trying to attain it, um, is what I tell people is you can strive for it, but trying to attain perfection, mm-hmm. that's, that's where you get in a dicey situation. And so 2012 was just being a little bit more comfortable with if things aren't going well, figure out a way to get it done.
0: It's so hard to learn. I think that it's got to be something that, um, is you grow up and and you watch from outside the ropes the players on the PGA tour or pretty much you know with, with any sport you assume that the people you see on TV playing the game whatever the game is at the highest level that that they do everything right that that every play every pass that's thrown every shot that's taken all those things like they're, they're purposeful and they have got it and it's totally understood and the execution is always going to be what they intended it to be and and what you come to understand and especially when you you watch enough golf than from inside the ropes and experiences that that there's so few shots that that I would imagine you'd say that you're a perfectionist that you would probably hit even on your best day, so few shots you say, that's absolutely perfect. You know, that there's gonna be some where you really nut a drive and it's just right. Or you just walk up, you take a look at a putt from a couple different ways, this nice fifteen footer, you strike it and it's exactly the line and exactly the speed that you intended, and it goes right in the heart of the cup. That happens so few so many fewer times than people appreciate that it's almost like this epiphany that a golfer has to have to reach whatever the level is going to be. For me, it was, you know, breaking 80. It's like I don't have to hit 18 greens and make every pot to break 80. Far from it. But for you, because at this point then it's your livelihood. It's it's the the fulfillment of what I'm assuming was, you know, you want it to be out there. You talk to Buddy, you're playing at Florida, this is the aspiration after Wingfoot, to to tell Billy Horschel at, at age 23, 24, 25 Hey, look! You're gonna make bogeys. It's cool. Just don't rattle off ten in a row. Hopefully, but like nobody's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be a. It's gonna be a really hard lesson to learn.
1: You know what? And it's still less I learn. I'm trying to learn to this day because, <laughs> yes, I'm better than I was seven years ago. But even to this day, I still, uh, I'll still get in my own way and, and uh, of uh, trying to, you know, if a shot doesn't turn out right, you know, I'll. I don't let it bother me, but I'm trying to figure out why it didn't fix it. And so the next one I can hit absolutely perfect. And uh, even to this day, like I said, I'm still realizing I don't have to be perfect to play, you know, a great golf. I don't yeah. have to be perfect to win on the PGA tour. Yeah. And, um, and so that's, that's, that's the, the, the big thing for me. I, I still, I still get my way with that. And the better off I can, I can get away from, you know, perfection. And sometimes the results, um, uh, whether it's the result of a shot or the result of a score or the results of, of a finish of an event, the more I can get away from that and just focus on to what you know trying to get better each and every day and, and something I've always done, try and get better each and every day, but also figure out what you did well that day, and just focus on that at the end of the day. Don't focus on if something went bad or anything else. Figure out what that one thing you felt like you did really well, and just build on that for the next day
0: what do you remember about the 2013 shell Houston open? And I bring up that tournament because number one, it's the start yep. of a really good streak of golf for you at that point. And that's probably mm-hmm. the first really big check that you earned out there. You, you had had Correct. some good results, yep. but, but that was the cows. What do you remember about that week?
1: You know, it was weird. I, I think the week before we were at Bay Hill, um, and, uh, I just shot I think 81 or 82 on Sunday at Bay Hill. I think I made like a 10 or 11 on number six, and I felt like my game was close. I felt like my game was close. I the ball strike down was just a little bit off, and and I went um, I did some a really long rain session. I think on Monday and Tuesday at or maybe just Tuesday at at uh, Shell Houston Open, and I felt like I played good early in the week, and uh, just wasn't making any putts, but I felt like I was hitting it good and. Um and then I remember Sunday I played with Lee Westwood and I just felt comfortable that day. I just felt really comfortable that I'm going to go out and have a good round of golf. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to play a really good round of golf then. And I went out there and had a, you know, just it just felt easy. I uh, I was comfortable if I hit a if the shot wasn't perfect, I was comfortable with it. Um I wasn't getting uh too up or too down about, you know, like I said, the shots or the results or anything—I would just one shot at a time. I know cliche to say, but I was just really—it's like it was. I told people I said, "When I sometimes it's like an out of body moment for me, and the whole fact that I'm out of my—I'm out of my way. I can't. I there's no way I can trip myself up. And that's mm-hmm. what that day was like. I was just out of my own way. I was out of body and just letting. What all the hard work and all the time you put in, just let it come naturally, without you know trying to force
0: it. It sounds like it's it's whether it was consciously happening or maybe unconsciously happening that that you relinquished the the worrying about the result, that that the process of Correct. hitting the shots and just letting the the result happen as a natural you know end to to what you are doing. And I've I've heard players talk about that that they almost like relinquish control of or desire for for the certain outcome. And they just think about hitting the shots. And they've hit the shots a million times. You've pegged up a five iron a million times, and you hit it. You've pegged up, you've done all that. You've hit bunker shots a million times. You just hit it. And when they can do that, it's almost like they come, as you just sort of described, this, very relaxed. Some people used to call it the zone. You'd hear guys talk about that. Um, but to me, yep. it was somehow just falling into this state where it feels very comfortable to not care as much about what I'm going to shoot today. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold you shoot 66 or you, sh- you drop a number and you have a day and wouldn't it be great to be able to do that a lot? I mean, certainly, um, you found it. And this, I guess would be the natural next question in 2014, you didn't have a top 10 after the U S open, but then you end up tying for second at the Deutsche bank. You went to talk about getting hot and, and getting into the right mindset at the right yeah. time. You win the BMW, you win the tour championship and the FedEx cup, was it the same thing that basically happened, or, or how do you – I can see that sort of mindset being for a round or two rounds. You fell into that for the better part of a month. What, what happened there?
1: You know, I, I, I've uh, – throughout my career, I always seem to get in runs where um, whether it be for three, four, you know, six-week stretch, you know, maybe three hours, six weeks or four hours, six weeks, whatever it may be you know, a good period of stretch where I just continually play well. I'm up in the top 10. I may win an event. You know, it, it's just something that I I've always been able to do. And I think once I get in that, that, you know, non-caring mode and not, non worrying about, you know, if my swing's perfect or am I hitting every putt the way I want or the result of the event, you know, and I'm more just worried about just being out there and playing good golf and trying the best I can. And focusing on that, um, then then I just – that's why I just intend to play well. And I'm able to carry that on. I know a lot – that's one thing I've always I've, – I've, uh, I'm always curious about because I see guys and they play really well one week and they go out the next week and miss the cut. And I'm like, how does that happen? <laughs> because for me, if I play well, then I'm like, I'm going to play well next week because I'm like, I know I'm playing well. All I got to do is do exactly what I did this week. And not and not try and do anything more or anything less. Right. Just go out there and let the shots happen. And I get in that that great mo that great uh, that great spot that great mind frame whatever people want to call it. And I just let it happen. Um, one thing I've always done in my career is I've always whenever I've been up near the lead or have a chance to win, I've always played really well. Uh, I've never really backed up. Uh, and I just think because I, I I'm comfortable in that situation. But at the same time, I know I'm playing well, so there's no reason for me to overthink anything um, well, out like, on the golf course. Like, it, if I hit a bad shot, I don't have to like want to hit a bad shot. Well, no big deal. You're hitting it great. You're going to hit the next one good. So that's the way it is.
0: It reminds me of a quote uh, I had a chance to talk a long time ago with, with Billie Jean King being, being sort of a tennis guy, and she was sort of talking about the same thing. And it, it was remarkable to listen to her basically sort of submit that um, you always want to change a losing game plan, but you never change a winning game plan. And it sounds like such yeah. an obvious thing, but you see guys, you know, they'll, they'll have some success and then they make changes. And, and I get if you, the aspiration is to get even better. Tiger has talked about that, you know, like why after having so much success early in his career, does he go through swing changes and go through different coaches? Like, well, I'm trying to get even better than I was the other day. I, I get that. But, but to, what, to your point, if, if you're doing something really well, if you're on a hot streak, if, if you're shooting low scores and things are going good and you're in a good mindset, like I, I just don't mess with it. Like you're finally where you want to yep. be. Um, I'm not saying to, to stop practicing. I'm not saying to do whatever. But like whatever you, you've been doing, keep doing that part. Don't, don't tinker around or mess around too much with it. Um, so after winning the Byron Nelson in 2017, you said with the trophy sitting right behind you. I had to go back, and I, I looked at this on YouTube, that, uh, that life happens. And lots of things happen that you couldn't talk about over the last year. And then the next day, your wife, Brittany, went on social media and basically said that it was... And this is unbelievable. This is a terrible thing and a great thing at the same time. It was the one-year anniversary of her being sober, that she had reached that milestone. You guys go on to Good Morning America with Michael Strahan. You're sitting there together talking about that. How difficult was it to, to deal with a lot of the things that obviously you had to deal with when she's doing that and coming out? I would imagine the conversations to... Accept that offer from Good Morning America, there had to be a lot of talking, but at the same time, it's you guys must have been through a lot of stuff and holding on to a lot of stuff leading up to that point.
1: It was tough. Um, it, that, that, uh, with her entering rehab in 2016, um, and, uh, going through everything that we had to go through, uh, I, I, um, there, it was just, there was a lot of stuff that time that was going on, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to focus on golf and, and trying to play well. I just signed with PXC in 2016, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not playing too bad, and then boom. And I say, life happens. Life did happen. Yeah, uh, My wife had to go in the rehab, and we had, my main goal now was I could care less about golf. Golf didn't matter anymore to me. Um, I didn't care uh, about anything, except my child of Skylar, who was a year and a half old right. uh, at that point, um, and then getting my wife into a place that was going to be productive and help her become sober. And so that is what my main goal was all of 2016. And, and it was tough. I mean, we there was a lot of stuff going on off the golf course. I only played a couple events. People were asking me, friends and, and family, Um, We're asking me what was going on. There was only a handful of people that knew that Brittany was in rehab. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I want I I wanted to keep this close to his vest. This wasn't something I wanted to share at that moment in time, um, because it wasn't mine to share. Yes, it's my wife.
0: Totally, Uh, totally.
1: My wife is part of me, but this is her deal. She has to be in a place to first be sober, and then she has to be in a place mentally, physically, health wise, to be able to share that story. Um, and, and, and that wasn't going to come back and affect her. So we did a, it was an unbelievable year. It was a tough year from 2016 to the Byron Nelson. A lot of learning on both my wife and, and, and myself of uh, how to be a better husband, and wife, how to communicate better. Um, uh, my wife's trying to, you know, do one day at a time. You know, that was, you know, you know, a struggle. Um, and I win the Byron Nelson, and and we had talked about when she was in rehab that you know we would love to be able to share a story and help people going forward. But this was, I mean, we talked about this you know almost a year before when she was in rehab, like that would be an ultimate goal. But we didn't know when that was going
0: to happen. There, there were so we, many I things. I not know that we need, when my wife was going to be ready. Right. There's so many things yeah. that would need to happen so be- before that, and it's it must have seemed like this abstract, way off dreamland to get to the point where that is something that we could do. And when you're living literally day to day with that and the family and Skylar is not in the picture for your wife for two months, which must've been for her excruciating. And you're, you're there. Your dad moved in with you at that point, didn't he? To try and help out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My dad came up to help out. We had just, I was moving into a new house and there was a lot, There was just a lot of moving parts going on trying to figure everything out. And and so, like I said, that that year was just a really long, tough, hard part year. But there was a lot of unbelievable, great moments that came out of it. Um, well, and your relationship even up the be... Byron Nelson, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't playing great golf going in the Byron Nelson. I, my golf game was still struggling. You know, I, I was having bit little little moments where I play well, but my game was still struggling, trying to figure everything out and 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 you know get because. A lot of it too was I had to be a different person. I had to change who I had been for so many years um, well,
0: as, as an it's, individual. It's, it's, and my,
1: my, say, my wife and I had been.
0: So well, I mean, it it sounds like a lot of the the things that allowed you to be as successful as you were on the golf course. Which, and and I mean this in a positive way, but the word has negative connotation. Is there's a degree of selfishness that players in an individual yep. sport have to be able to have? You have to be selfish enough to leave your significant other kids, um, parents, you oftentimes hear are sacrificing time and finances to be able to support the dream of the kids and then collegiate players and then on and on. There's this network that's around you. And to relinquish that and to know that it can't be about me right now. But at the same time, you have commitments to your family to be able to provide to them. You have commitments that are professional. Like Like you just said, you just signed up with a new club manufacturer. You want to play well for those guys. You want to show that that the, their investment in you is meaningful and it's good. Like you, that That's real life for you. Um, and to to have a foot in both of those worlds uh, is – I'm often in, in awe of the family members of professional athletes because you live with all of the stress and you really don't contribute directly. I mean there are some things that obviously family members do to contribute to your performance and well-being. But – when, when that balance gets out of whack, the fact that it's public to me means it's it's so much worse you know if you're an accountant or if, if you're you know a construction guy if if you're a person in real estate you know whatever and and you're having trouble at home you're not traveling to Asia for three weeks you know usually yeah. to do that like you can deal with those things you're dealing with that in a very public manner or working really really hard to keep it private but it's got to be something that you're living with every day. And I don't think that a lot of people appreciate what family members oftentimes go through. I know that Julie Ogilvie had has had trouble with and it and basically had to overcome alcoholism. She's still dealing with it and talking about it very openly on social media. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised in the least. And I'm sure that there are other people who are having trouble with addiction issues as well who are family members of professional athletes because it's such this very unique very, very stressful, chaotic lifestyle that some people, you know, are used to and some people just aren't.
1: Well, and what I tell people, I say, listen, we live a great life. Our families live a great life. We do a lot of great things. But you, like you said, when you're a family member, a professional athlete, majority of times you're not going to work because you don't need to work. Right. So you're like, wait, oh, I don't need to work. My, my significant other's making a lot of money. There's no reason for me to work. But what happened, one thing that happened to my wife was her self-value, her, her self-interest, her self-being, her well-being. Like, you know, what was her meaning in life? Mm-hmm. She didn't know what a meaning in life was because it was golf for so long because she was an unbelievable golfer in own right and junior in college golf. And then now she – now now I turn pro. We get married, you know, in 2010. Uh, you know, now she's following me around. She stops following me around. She goes to co- back to college to get another degree. She doesn't really, you know. She's almost finished with it. She stops doing that. Um, we have a kid, and but she still hasn't figured out what her self, you know, what what is self. Yeah,
0: yeah how she it defines is. herself. What her what exactly. her meaning?
1: Exactly, and so so a lot of family members have a tough time like doing that because now they have all this free time. They're living through someone else's shoes a little bit, and and following their foot and everything. They're not the main. They don't have their own self. Um, importance anymore and they got to figure out what that is. And, and so that was one of the reasons that led to my wife's drinking and, 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 and rehab it, it, She realized there's a lot of things that are, you know, that are, her uh, herself being herself worth, her, you know, yeah, exactly. her job now is to be, is to take, is to be a mother to Skylar. And that is her job. It's a big job. You know? and, and so when she, and so when she looked at it that way, she was like, I do have self value. I do have value in my life. You know, beyond just being some my husband's wife, type, you know, type thing. So it's such a great, it's so tough for these, these uh, you know, family members. I understand. So that's why sometimes when, you know, some of these kids come out on tour and they get married and their girlfriend, you know, or their girlfriend or their wife wants to start traveling and they're going to quit their job. And I'm like, hey, I'm just telling you, just be careful. I just want to make sure your girlfriend or your wife or your fiance knows, like, she's on your coattails. That's what she's going to feel. She's going to have something that brings meaning to her life. Yep. What brings worth to her life? She's got to figure that out. And I, when she does that, that that helps everybody out because now, when if she doesn't have that, when they're out on the road and she's like, you know, like oh, just an-, you know, yeah, we're at another spot and she's doing another lives event, but beyond that, there's nothing more for her. She's going to start feeling depressed, possibly. So now she needs to figure out something that brings worth to her meaning in life and whatever that may be she's got to figure it out and that may be you know being more part of a charity or being more part of the wives association or doing more at events or when you're at home and she's at home she's got something at home to be that brings meaning to her life Mm -hmm. because that is going to make the relationship stronger it's going to allow you to be more comfortable and not have to worry about well what is she doing a day or how can i make her feel good that she's doing something and helping out i mean it's a, tough, it's a tough struggle. And, you know, it's, as we all say, yes, we live a great life, and people can see you know, what they see with their eyes, but they don't know what they see behind closed doors. No, it's, and it's... for my wife and I, it was a tough one. And so for us to share our story, one reason we share our story is, is to be public about and help people who are dealing with, with addiction, especially wives, especially mothers that may be stay-at-home moms like my mom, like my wife and may not have that meaning in life, and they don't understand, you know, what's my meaning in life? I don't have a job anymore. I'm just a stay-at-home mom taking care of kids. Well, that is your meaning in life. Your job is to be able now to give your, you know, be a, the best mom you can be and 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 do whatever you can for your kids. That is your job. Look at it that way, and, and that, that is your meaning in life. And that,
0: and that job has value and worth. That's not, it's, it's one of those things where uh, my wife value. and I have talked about this, where it's like, you know, the idea of like whether it was like in the 50s and 60s, uh, what is your profession? I'm a homemaker, you know, or I'm a mom. Like, yeah, mom, mom is a big job. Mom is a big, huge and or if, it's a, or, if it's, job. or if it's a stay-at-home dad. Either way, raising kids, taking care of a house is a full-time big job. And it's something that somehow or another, I don't know when it happened, it became something that socially, uh, again, not whatever, it, it became something not necessarily that we look down on, but but you almost take for granted. Like, well, of course, like, that's the yeah. thing. But, like, what else do you, like, what's your, really, your career? Well, tell you what, running the household here at, at our house in Connecticut, that is a full-time gig, and it's something that absolutely should be valued and admired. It's not something that's like, well, he or she is, is not working. They're just a stay-at-home parent.
1: Are you kidding me? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, people will not understand. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, yes, it may not have a financial dollar amount. You may not be getting a weekly paycheck for what you're doing, but there's so much more meaningful uh, importance to doing that. I mean, I, I, I tell people, I say, when it comes to my house, when I come off the tour and I come home, I'm I'm not in charge. My wife's in charge of my house. She tells me, you know, what's going on with the kids, where I need to be. You know, we talk about my schedule that week and, and how I can help out. Like, I'm not the one in charge of my house. She runs my house. She knows all the bills that has to be paid. She knows – I don't know any of this. I don't want to know it. I let her have it because – it makes it easier for me to focus on what I need to do. So, I mean, it, it is a full time job that has a tremendous meaning, and I, I think, you know, when when people can realize it that way—that you're raising kids. Yes, they're your kids, and you think, well, I, I'm supposed to raise them my kids, but you're influencing your kids as every they grow up. You're, you're, every single day, every single day, with everything
0: and, that you do, you're, you're influencing those kids. They are watching; they are little sponges, and now that. Charlie for example is 15 years old and and it's funny we're reaching that we're good buddies kind of thing and and and, and which is great and my relationship with my 10 year old daughter thankfully is is fantastic but everything when they're little kids they're to- they the sponge thing never goes away they're always aware of the words you choose the actions you take the way that you handle yourself the way that you go around i make sure that my kids see me working i make sure that they see me out in the yard yep. doing stuff they're very aware that like when I have to go to a PJ tour event, I'm on a plane that leaves usually at like 5:30 or 6 in the morning. Do I want to wake up and do this? No, but it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm packed, ready to go, everything's done. Just like little things that we don't think about, they're aware of that stuff. Um, they totally take on those things, and that's that's part of the job is 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 setting the example for the kids. So it's it's a big deal.
1: And you know, I I, I look at it, I look at things in a uh, big picture, how everything can possibly influence. And in s- situation we're having in today's world where you know with some of the millennials and everything else i'm like man you know what and i i i thought about this the other day i was like i wonder if their parents and i don't know how they're raised or anything but i wonder if parents are a little bit more important and a little bit and realize the meaning of, of raising their kids beyond hey it was just your kids but but how much influence you have and how much you can influence their lives going forward and that would change the way that they think they see the world today like if their parents would have you know, understood like. Hey, there's more meaning meaning to raising my kids than just raising my kids. Like I should be doing. It's a podcast. Like I, I can it's, really influence yeah. the power of influencing my kids and showing them how the world really works. Like like you said, you know, hey, I have to leave early to go. I have to hop on a plane at five thirty six a.m. to go in the you know go to a PGA tour event and work. Like this is how we make our you know make ends meet. Huh. This is how I provide for you. Like we have to make sacrifices in this world. And if you want to get to where you want to be in this world, sacrifices are the, is the, is the most important thing. You got to sacrifice. Hey, do I go out and, and go hang out with my friends till 2 a.m. in the morning when I've got to see off at 7 a.m. the next day uh, on the first round, you know, no. Yeah. I would love to go hang out with my friends or I'd love to go to a concert, but at the, I've got to go worry about playing golf or I got to go practice the next day. And how is that going to affect me? You know, not just yeah. today, but what's the long term effect? Like, How's that going to, you know, multiply down the road? Where if I get in the heated situation, I'm like man, you know what? I really wish I didn't go out with my buddies because now I feel unprepared. Because last totally. week, you know, I, I should have spent more time practicing and hanging out and drinking with my friends or whatever. Whatever the issue may be, like making sacrifices to be able to do what you want in this world is is the it's, most it's, important thing. And it's it's, you know, understand, it's understanding the value of the
0: long game. Is is the is yeah. is just the whole appreciation and understanding of the long game uh speaking of the long game you've given me a whole bunch of your time I just want to finish up on a little no bit worries. more golf stuff and everything um you it's an off week for you you've been super gracious last season you finished 43rd on the FedEx Cup point list you made it to the BMW championship um but not the tour championship um if 2014 was was an A season you finish on fire all that success how would you grade your 2018-19 season that just finished up
1: 2018 2019 was my most consistent season on the PGA Tour. Sure was. I've ever had. I missed. I missed two cuts. I think I finished in the top twenty five. Fourteen out of twenty six events I may have played. Mm-hmm. Twenty seven events. Twenty six. Um, and I had I think four four top tens or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But the thing that was most disappointing about 2018 2019 was that I. I think I never really had an opportunity to win a a tournament. I I wasn't in contention enough going into a Sunday to have a chance to win a tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, you look back on that and, like, why was that? And then there's a lot of stats that you can go over and mull over, and my team did. And, you know, my short game got better. My scrambling was the best it's ever been in my career. My putting was where it needs to be, where I feel like I'm a top 15, top 20 putter on the tour. The area that struggled was my ball striking. My ball striking was the worst ball striking year I've had to date on the PGA Tour, and that is what cost. That is what led to me uh, not finishing more than inside the top ten. Um, you know, I had a lot of top 25s, and a lot of those probably should have been top tens, but my ball striking was too erratic. Uh, and with that being said, I I, I didn't with erratic ball striking. It, allowed me not to be in contention more. I wasn't consistent enough with my ball striking on a day-to-day basis to be able to have a chance to win tournaments. And So there was a lot of great things to take from last year. Mm-hmm. And I look at all the great things, and I'm like, well, what do we need to do? Well, we just need to improve the ball striking. Keep doing everything else that we're doing really well. Let's just improve the ball striking, which has never been my issue because I've always been a really was, great ball that striker. That was always the strength of your game, but, exactly. That
0: was the foundation of what made, of you as a player.
1: Correct. So we had to, and it wasn't like we were neglecting it throughout the year. We had known that the ball striking was was not there, and we had been trying to do you know, work on it, but it's just really tough to make changes in season when you're also trying to play well.
0: That's, and that's so something that's we really were, hard, Is and I've talked to you guys about re- refining or improving <laughs> on a skill while at the same time competing, because it's two different parts of your brain, yep. and you sure as hell don't want to bring – excessive swing thoughts, if any swing thoughts at all inside the rope, starting on Thursday, because playing the game and focusing on shots is plenty to think about thinking about wrist position, weight shifts, you know, whatever, whatever that you and Todd Anderson, your swing coach are, are thinking about um, that's just going to louse things up. You can't think mechanical. You've got to think shot, see it, hit it. Um, And that's, that to me is one of the sort of hidden skills that some guys, I don't know how they do it. I mean, that's why they're them and I'm not is that they can do that. I talked to Stuart Sink a couple of years ago at the Dell Technologies Championships who ran into each other at a, at, a, at a grocery store and he told me that he had come to this realization and, and I want to hear if you agree with this or not that it's actually being really consistent is, is not the way to be quote unquote successful now on the PGA Tour. That actually the tour, the way it's set up now rewards guys who are really streaky rather than the guys who just simply make a lot of cuts and end up you know, say 25 to 50 every week. Do you agree with that? Is it better to almost these days be streaky than, than excessively consistent?
1: Um, yes. I mean, I think if we look at my career before this past year, I would, I would have been called a, a sticky player. I would have, you know, four, five, six, seven, you know, great weeks and, and more likely consecutive weeks. And then I would, then the rest of the year would be, you know, so, so, um, but I still would rather, you know, and that's the way you know. I guess you say a lot of players are going, but I still want to be consistent because if I can be consistent, I know my streaky, my streaky stuff is going to come. Um, and that's just the way I've always been. I want to, I want to make a lot of cuts. I like, I like feeling that I'm playing well and building. I feel like if I can make cuts, you always, you got two more rounds to continue to build to next week and build and build. And so for me, I want to. I want to feel like I'm building until the top pops off, and that's when I have, you know, consecutively great, great weeks. Uh, uh, you know, that's the way I try to look at it because I don't like missing cuts. I, I think everyone hates missing cuts. And, sure. Man, I, I, I just, I, I may hit,
0: I'm, I hate missing cuts more than anyone. I want to say
1: because I feel like I have no chance to win.
0: So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, um, that's, that's very true. Um, hey, did you, uh, did you avoid Kevin Kisner? When you were uh, over in Asia after the Florida Georgia game,
1: no, it was funny. Uh, I was down in the uh, the hotel having some breakfast, and I didn't. See, he walked in, and I didn't see him, and all <laughs> all I hear is he yells something out, and, or he goes, he goes, "How about those dogs?" You know, in that southern drawl of his, and yeah. out loud, and everyone heard it. and I just started laughing, and and I was like, "Man, look at that chest, all pumped out." I I said, you know, you you can guarantee you're going to shoot 5 or 6 hundred under today, and he actually shot five over I think. So, uh maybe he was a little tired, a little all the drilling that came out after beating us, but no, I, I saw him and yeah, that was always tough to to lose to Georgia. Well, I you know, it's I see those guys enough and I have to hear from them. They don't let they share the they let me know about it every time I see them how we played. Yeah, they, they remind me a they lot. Will,
0: they so. will remind you. How was it when you and Brittany went out onto the field? I saw that you guys were out there not too not too long ago, and you were out. It Looked like on the fifty yard line, stands were filled with people. That must have been pretty yeah.
1: wild. Yeah. So we we did uh, Mr. Tubits, which is a tradition at the University of Florida, um, started by George Edmondson almost sixty years ago, probably probably about sixty years ago. Um, yeah, it was unbelievable. As I say, I don't get uh, like all caught up in an all aw- shucks moment. That was the first time I've ever done it. I was nervous. Um, you know, I don't get nervous very often, and that was—I uh, was the most nervous I've ever been in my life uh, doing that because it's just an iconic thing in the University of Florida history, especially football. And and you don't want to mess it up. You want to do it right. And it was exciting to do it with my wife Brittany. We had a fun time, and uh, it was something. It's one of my one of my biggest and top moments of my entire life that I've ever done.
0: What happens if Skylar tells you in a few years, Daddy, I want to go to Florida State?
1: Yeah, that won't happen. <laughs> See, I, I, No, it won't happen. Well, See, I'd, rather, I'd rather have her go to Georgia than than Florida State. Let's just wow. say that. <laughs> wow. Okay, so yeah. that,
0: I assume then that uh, November 30th is circled on the calendar at the Horschel House. Billy, I really appreciate you giving me lots of time. Yeah. It's always good seeing you. My pleasure. You. I, will, uh, I will look forward to seeing you out on the PGA Tour. Thanks a lot.
1: Awesome, thanks again.